So, your paracetamol, sir. I tell you what, between your injury, my wonky head, and Peter's liver, we could actually start up a small pharmacy here, couldn't we? Yeah, your head's all right, though, now, isn't it? No. Sandwich wise, ham, cheese, ham and cheese. Something in a bowl from last week that might be, ooh, tuna. Ooh. Salmonella, buddy. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 256 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that had an ungodly problem coming up with an intro this week because, as Helen has said before we started recording, it's hot as balls in this room. I'm Gavin. And I'm melting, melting. Oh, what a week it's been for heat here. Yes, it's been, t- if, if this is what May, June is like, oh. I will be dead by August. August is not looking promising. I will be dead by August. We were complaining that it the spring hadn't really sprung properly. Right. And it was like still kind of chilling. It was snowing not that long ago. And now we've jumped right into summer already. And it's been like all week in the 90s and... Terrible. Ugh. Just the worst. And we don't have very modern AC in this house, so... No. If you can hear a drone that's not my voice... It or may mine. Well, it may well be... I don't think anyone could accuse your voice of being a drone. Or yours. You've got well, you've got such a beautiful, beautiful brogue coming from the other side of the table. See, it's so hot, we're delirious. We have a, <laughs> oh! a little air conditioning, a portable air conditioning unit mm. that is doing its best to keep us from passing out. So, yes, I will endeavour to remove it as much as I can, but there may be some drone remaining. How are you? Hot as balls. Hot as balls. Hot as balls. And tired because when it's hot as balls. It, it's just so exhausting just to walk through the house. Yeah, and I don't really sleep that well when it's that hot. No. I have a fan blowing totally into my face uh-huh. <laughs> that's like maybe a foot away from me. Mm-hmm. And it does a decent job, but it's not the same as having a nice cool yeah. room. So, Fortunately, it's still allergy season. Oh, that's good news. So... So I ply myself well with Claritin and, and Mucinex and oh, knock yourself out. Other other drugs and just go to sleep very quickly <laughs> and do not suffer. Yeah, it's kind of make me wish that I still drank. No, because that would just make you hotter. Ah, but you fall asleep though. Yeah, but then you're dehydrated. Yeah, I I, I appreciate that it generates a what I think is called a vicious circle. Yes. But just for that one night. Might be worth it. It's so it's so terribly hot that I could not eat my Chinese food today. <laughs> on it reflection, was just making me hotter. On reflection, Chinese food was maybe not a great idea. No, but it's good though. It'll be yes. We have we have a new Chinese in town. Our our old Chinese went out of business, and and somebody else bought it and changed the sign, and then for like three months on our local Facebook group. Somebody would ask practically every day, 
Is the new Chinese open yet? It's not empty for about a year and then the weekend that it opened, you could barely drive by it because yes. it was so congested and it smelled of Chinese food, which yes. was making me kind of hungry for Chinese food. Yes. Americans love American Chinese food. Yeah. Real Chinese food, not so much. Right. Well, I like real Chinese food. Well, this is one of those episodes of the podcast that's happening in one of those weeks for the show. The week yeah. that was the show was five half hours rather than the right. three full hours. And we have a new voice on the podcast this week. Ooh. At the end, coming up after our usual run through this week's episodes earlier this week, I had a chat with Chris James, who is the Director of External Affairs for the Motor Neuron Disease Association. Lovely. Their communications department got in touch with us like a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. to try and get a little chat happening on the podcast about their role in the Paul storyline. Right. And the importance of fundraising and all that sort of stuff. And we were only too happy to accommodate. Absolutely. So my discussion with Chris is at the end of this episode. So if you want to jump straight to that, (laughs) aim for around 21 minutes before the end of the podcast. And if you're on YouTube listening to this, I, I chapter everything out so you'll be able to find it. No problem at all. Oh, what a lovely man you are. We had a grand old chat. Me and Chris on Wednesday this week. Yes. It's quite exciting. I like doing this sort of thing. Yes, me too. Anyway, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that sweaty corny news. (laughs) Apparently, Kirk wasn't at the wedding because he's golfing. Oh, yeah. I assumed it was because of the uh, South African... I'm a celebrity, but that was apparently Probably. filmed at the end of last year or last autumn, so the dates don't tie in at all. Oh, well. Andrew Wyman shared a snap on Insta this week of himself and Sam Aston, so it wasn't really because he was golfing, because no. the groom was there too. Right. Golfing at Worsley Park this week. Along with Wyman's son, who apparently is his spitting image. Oh, really? I also thought maybe that they just picked on Kirk as a distraction from the fact that Fizz isn't there. And their mum isn't there. And, you know, Scylla's not there because Scylla's no longer in the show. Right. Fizz isn't there because Jenny McAlpine's on maternity leave. Right. But you would expect Fizz to come back. Yeah, why they didn't film this before she left. Is anybody's guess, but never mind. So I thought I thought the, the Kirk thing was just to throw people off that sense. People were saying, well, where's Kirk? Rather than saying, well, where's Fizz? But either way, people are saying, well, where's somebody? Right. Well, we pointed out when Fizz left the show. Oh, well, there's Fizz not going to her brother's wedding. Right. And yet everybody on Gemma's side is going to be there. Mm-hmm. So. This but. is why Dev ends up getting an invite. Well, Ben, <laughs> I guess. Dev would be there anyway, because he... Not just for Bernie, but he is also Chesney's employer. Hello? You invite your boss to your wedding? Yeah, why not? Because it has nothing to do with them. So? Oh. It's just polite. It's just polite. I'll invite my boss to uh, Benny's open house next year, if Benny graduates. That's me knocking on wood. Moving on. Sub awards are coming this week, so make sure to get those votes in. Colson Smith made a an impassioned appeal on the Twitter and Instagram this week saying make sure to get those votes in because there are lots of people from the show 
who are up for awards this year. And it'll be a great show with a brand new host, Jane McDonald, who I'm sure will be a smashing success. Why did you have a big smile on your face? I was looking for a way to, <laughs> so that we could talk about this if you wanted to talk about the whole, oh, the whole Philip, Schofield, Philip thing. Schofield thing. I don't know. I... He's always seemed like a tit to me, so <laughs> I wasn't surprised. See, we, we, we didn't. I grew up with Philip Schofield in, in the broom cupboard on Children's BBC. Mm-hmm. And I think it was kind of famously known at the time that he got his big break by being a kid who just continually wrote letters to the BBC asking for a chance. And eventually gave him a chance basically to shut him up. Right. And he's gone on to obviously become what has been described as one of the most powerful men in, in British TV. Yeah. So there are kind of echoes of that happening here where he has apparently given a young guy a, his break in, mm-hmm. in TV, got him as a runner on the show and then things maybe got a little bit inappropriate. Yes. I don't think anything illegal has been accused officially. No. But it's it's a bit icky that somebody who has that much power, there is a relationship, right. there's, a, there's a kind of breach in the, the dynamics of the relationship when somebody is so much more powerful than the other person. Right, exactly. So, I don't know. I mean, we probably have to be careful what we say. Hmm. We are in America. No one can harm us here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. Former Quarry star, who is forever in our hearts, Melanie Hill, had a bit of drama getting home this week as there was a police raid in the apartment block that she lives in in Ooh, Manchester. How exciting. Not her apartment, but an apartment in the block of apartments that she lives in. I understand. And quite a few other Quarry actors live or have lived in that block. Apparently, I was going to ask, I would have thought there quite a few of them were probably living there or thereabouts. Right. Um, someone said, you know, it's it's always been a nice place to live, but it's kind of started to go downhill a little bit in in parts. So, but since the Cory people moved in, yeah, since the Cory people moved in, <laughs> Coulson, and that's Cory news. That's Cory news. Well, let's see if we have anyone to thank this week, and we'll podcast for coffee. And the answer to that is no. <gasps> Just fine. It's fine. We don't need to drink coffee in the heat. What I was going to say, though, in light of our special guest at the end of this week's episode, I was going to suggest that for the rest of June, any money that we raise through coffee donations, and any money that we raise through people becoming friends of the podcast, we will donate to a Motor Neuron Disease Association. That's a brilliant idea. And we will match any donations made and if i make it through my work i think they will probably double those lovely those contributions as well so if you want to be a part of that how do you do that well you buy us a coffee by going to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street that's also just a nice way if people want to show their appreciation for the show if they think it's worth any more than the time it takes to listen to it and you can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month you can get yourself a cheeky mention in the closing credits of every episode, which has got to be worth, like, I don't know. Nothing? Maybe next to nothing. 
let's say next to nothing. There is some intrinsic value to it that's difficult right, to measure. You get, you it's get, difficult to measure. Right. You get mentioned in a podcast, and that's always thrilling, isn't it? You've been mentioned in podcasts before that you've written into, and, and that gives you a little cheap thrill, doesn't it? I'm all about the cheap thrills. I will throw bits at Lemmy just so he says, Gaviano, thanks for the bits. <laughs> I was mentioned in um, on Linoleum Knife once when I wrote in to, uh, to comment about one of the movies that they reviewed that week, and that was lovely. Yeah. So anyway, yes. we're trying to insist that this is worth <laughs> a little something, just a little... I don't Hear know. your name spoken in a lovely Scottish accent by Gav. Well, hello. <laughs> Yeah, and just as a reminder, anything that's raised this month will go to Motor Neuron Disease Association. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about the landfill conversation. The landfill conversation. Was this about filling in the sinkhole with land? That's right. This was Toya and Imran arguing about disposable nappies as oh, Toya's yes. views of the effect that they had on the environment was something that she and Imran apparently had argued about in the past. I was Gavin and you had new ink. I did. Oh, I'm so excited because not tomorrow, but next Saturday, I'm getting new ink as well. June must be New Ink Month for Helen now. Jink. Jink. Jinkies. <laughs> this was your Princess Leia tattoo that, yeah. if you squint, could pass for a Charlie DeMello tattoo. <laughs> I think I might get one of them. I had to smile as I went to get my driver's license updated, where I was oddly finding it difficult to keep my head square. So you try to you, keep your you, head completely upright, and it was kind of, uh, uh, oh, really? You'd, Angle. you'd just gotten over COVID. I did. So, I had. yeah, everything was difficult for you at the moment. Oh, jeez. You tried to insist that you knew more about a photo of me that you hadn't seen than I did. This was Britain's Got Talent Week. So we'd had a week of half-hour episodes that would eventually see Imran and Toyo's final argument in the car come to a rather sudden end. Whoa, whoa. Abby is ready to whisk Alfie off to Costa Rica, but cousin Kirsty's birthday is about to complicate matters. Well, Imran's day goes from bad to worse to as bad as it's ever going to get. Yes. Kelly's a grass. Elsie unpacks. And Craig's car is a tip. Our moment of the week was Toya explaining death to Alfie. And our boring moment of the week was cousin Kirsty's birthday. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to talk about this week. Are you ready to talk, to talk about this week? We might as well, we're here. Uh, it's already so hot and I'm going to get so angry. There are bits of it that I really liked. Yes, no, me too. And there's even bits of it in the bits that I didn't like that I liked. Mm. But there were a lot of bits that I didn't like. There were a lot of, the, as, as you well know, there was a lot of me shouting what the fuck at my iPod. iPod? I, iPad. Pick a vowel iPad. There we go. Shall we dive in, my dear? Ugh, if we must. Give us some of that. No, we've done Corey News. Yes, we have. <laughs> Our first storyline. There's only three storylines. Yeah. Our first storyline is Billy in the Church. 
Yay! Finally! <laughs> Billy's in a church. Finally, God has answered our prayers and put Billy in a church, officiating a wedding on Coronation Street. Who knew? Who knew that Billy could actually officiate weddings? We didn't know, because when was the last time he officiated a wedding on the show? Well, we don't know about when he officiated a wedding, but we know the last time that he was in the church, thanks to Den, at Den Loves One on yes. Twitter, uh, who told us it was 2021 when he officiated at Norris's funeral. Oh, yes. So we've come up for two years since he's been in the church. Yes. On Monday, it's Gemma's wedding day. Bernie's getting wired into the Bucks Fizz early doors, but Gemma is worried about Paul and worried about Bernie kicking off with Granny Linda. Bernie has faith that he'll turn up and on the stairs, Joseph sees how upset Gemma is. At Billy's, he's ready to head out because he's going to the wedding whether Paul's going or not, and Paul is not. Yeah. Uh, Billy doesn't have a choice. Yeah, because he's officiating. Right. And he's very excited about this. He is. If only he can remember the way to the church. At Tyrone's, Scylla, Fizz and Kirk have all given their apologies. Scylla is no longer in the show, Fizz is on maternity leave and Kirk, I thought at this point, was in the South African jungle but he apparently was playing golf. Right. This is a disaster, says Chesney. Not yet, Ches. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Dev, and only for you. Gemma's Dev, family loves her. <laughs> Dev gives them some zen talk which doesn't help anybody. Back at Billy's, Joseph shows up calls Paul a selfish twat and orders him to get ready. This is the talking to that Billy was unable to provide. Correct. And Billy even tries to shush Joseph here. Yeah. Like, Come on, Joseph. This is this is grown-up business. Right. And Joseph is like, I've got this. You need to butt all the way out. Yes. So Paul agrees and gets ready. Billy has to shave him, which was a bit heartbreaking to watch. Yes, very a much so. A bit heartbreaking, very heartbreaking. It was very heartbreaking. But it was beautiful as well. It was, you know... Makes you tear up a wee bit. Yeah, needed more foam in his cheeks. Have you ever seen that video of uh, of the man whose whose wife has Alzheimer's and uh, he's getting lessons at a salon on how to cut hair, so that it, and how to style hair so that he can take care of her hair. No. For the rest of her life. No. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that just it cuts you. It mm. cuts you deep. It does indeed. Fortunately, I don't have to worry about your hair. Well, it does go quite Hollywood if it's left too long. I think at that point you'll be fine. It's a little Hollywood at the moment, actually. I like it when it's a little Hollywood. It's a little bad boy. <laughs> yeah. Gemma, meanwhile, realises that Joseph has gone missing and as she runs to tell Chesney, Joseph shows up with Paul, who says that he's walking funny because of piles. Everyone finds this hilarious. This wedding is on. At the church, Paul walks Gemma down the aisle. <laughs> She's wearing a bright orange dress that... Ha- that She's like, where's my button? Where's my button? And Paul flicks her button and it lights up. It's got fairy <laughs> lights, got fairy in lights, it. lights it's on so it. It's so cute. I love it so much. And they make their entrance to Girls Alouds, The Promise, with the quads being flower girls and page boys. And as they're walking down the aisle. So cute. It was perfect. So I think. cute. Those wee kids are just adorable. Yes. I thought Gemma was looking amazing. She was. I mean... She's getting a bit of stick online for that dress. That dress was perfect for her. Seriously, there is nothing... I've seen much worse dresses in soap operas. I've seen much worse dresses on Coronation Street. <laughs> right. It's just the colour. If it was white, nobody would ever complain. She's not showing lots of boobage. It's not cut way up to here. No. It's a really... It's Besides the colour and the fairy lights... It's a pretty traditional wedding dress. 
I think it takes something a little bit extra for me to notice. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was gorgeous. Yeah. And I thought the train on it was lovely as well. And it yeah. was, I, I'm not buying for a second that Izzy put one stitch into that. But, well, no. I, but I don't care. This no. dress was gorgeous. It was so Gemma. The lights, even the lights were, I, I was nodding along. I don't think I was really laughing at it. No. I it was, was nodding along thinking, yeah, that, this, this ex- makes sense. All of this makes Gemma. sense. Right? Yeah. You wouldn't put her in something ordinary. She's not an ordinary person. No. Paul hands Gemma off to Chesney just in time as he nearly falls into his seat. And Gemma clocks Billy looking on, kind of worried. Gemma and Chesney have their own vows. Of course they do. And it goes on a bit, but Billy soon declares them to be Mr and Mrs Winter Brown. I think I would have rather Brown Winter. Winter Brown does sound like a dodgy Dulux colour. <laughs> brown Winter sounds like an accident. It sounds like what it looks like in winter when the snow melts and it gets all muddy. Yeah, it's day two of a, of a snowstorm. Right. So they're Mr and Mrs Winter Brown. And then it's back to the Rape Hotel for the reception. Yay! And isn't Debbie looking fantastic? Always looking fantastic. So gorgeous in that pink suit. Her with hair, her hair is amazing as well. Very punk rock. I love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. Paul realises that because he wasn't going to come at the wedding, he hasn't written a speech. Oh well. Granny Linda is chatting to Deb and wastes no time in taking credit for paying for the whole thing. Cleo has vomited on Bernie. She sees Dev and Granny Linda and wander, wanders over to interrupt and inadvertently learns about Granny Linda's deep pockets. What well? So while Gemma and Chesney are schmoozing and enjoying themselves, Bernie interrupts and grasses Granny Linda up. Gemma doesn't seem to care now and thanks Granny Linda. Furious at this for some reason, Bernie and Granny Linda have a good old food fight and end up covering Debbie in fondant. And here you said that nobody smashes wedding cake in one another's face in the United Kingdom. They don't. They don't. You almost punched me on our wedding day. What the fuck are you doing here? (laughs) Yeah, I was not happy about that. But uh, I covered well, or so I thought. (laughs) Yeah, they take... uh, Take handfuls of the, it's the fact that they take handfuls of the cake before right. it's been cut. Right. And it was a lovely looking cake as well. Yeah. That's no cheap. It it didn't have it didn't have Gemma and Chesney made completely out of fondant on the top. No, though. it should have. Yes. Again, they've turned these things around quick sharp. Cakes take a while to make. They do. Paul quickly starts his speech to break up the fight, but as he's talking about his pride and his love for Gemma and her life ahead with Chesney, well, yeah, Chesney, it gets too much for him emotionally, and he has to rush off. Gemma goes off to check on Paul and finds him crying. She pushes him into telling her what's wrong, and just as Bernie turns up, he finally has to admit that he's dying. On Tuesday, still in the same scene, rather unfortunately, Bernie accuses Paul of lying. Oh, it's just horrible that that's what she jumped to. Well, it's because you don't want it to be the truth, do you? Mm-hmm. So you try to think of any any other reasonable explanation. Right. He explains that he has motor neuron disease and has three years if he's lucky. Bernie congratulates him on ruining Gemma's wedding day. Paul insists it's the truth. And then it seems to really hit Bernie and Gemma until Debbie comes in and insists the first dance needs to happen before the guests get ugly. Too late. 
Privately, Gemma can't face going back to the wedding, but Paul doesn't want to spoil Chesney's day too. This is why he didn't want to tell them. He tells it to put on a brave face. He's not dead yet, and he wants to see the first dance, and for Gemma to twerk on the table. <laughs> why do you make dares like this, Paul? Because you know she's going to do it. Absolutely. So the first dance goes ahead, and it's... It's Agadu by Black Lace. Because of course it is. Because of course it is. And see me acknowledge this as a chat and Chesney's very keen to do this because uh-huh. it's it's light hearted, it's not a it's not a romantic dance at no. all. It's a dance that has moves to it that right. everyone can join in with. Right. But as they're doing it, there's nothing worse than someone sad doing Agadu uh-huh. and Gemma's heart really isn't in it she says she's just overwhelmed by the emotions of the day meanwhile granny linda is pished out of her tits yes she is and she and bernie make amends paul tells billy that Gemma and bernie now know and billy is proud of paul for finally doing the right thing and telling them yeah and and starts to tear up again Mm -hmm. later as paul and Gemma are singing ain't no mountain high enough together and it's worse than you think as this is happening, Bernie and Billy compare notes about their appalling reactions to the news and then join in the dance. And by the end, Paul talks Gemma into twerking after all. Yes, just but, not on a table. No. And a on big, the dance floor. And a big puffy orange Right, dress. so you can't even tell she's twerking, really. You just see the dress kind of... You see her expression and you know that she's twerking. Moving in the back. Mm-hmm. At home, Chesney has been told, and everyone is now an expert on MND, especially Bernie, who reminds everyone of Stephen Hawking, and how he outlived expectations by 50 years. She tells Paul that he did this by fighting and makes Paul promise not to give up. On Wednesday, this is where it started to get a little bit, they're kind of filling this in now. Right, yes. Because Todd's been summoned to Billy's flat, thinking it's something to do with summer, but Paul has news and warns them that it's not good. Meanwhile, Gemma and Chesney are having the same conversation with Joseph, and the wee man doesn't take it too well and runs up the stairs. Later, Granny Linda has been told and Gemma Hyde's been upset as she signs to wee Alad that she's, uh, she says that she's not upset or something. No, she's, she's not, not sad, sad, she's tired. Yeah. Paul has his meeting at the hospital and he doesn't want everyone going, but wild horses will not keep Bernie away. That's right. Ed pops round and he offers his sympathies and some hours doing admin stuff around the builder's yard, which actually sounds perfect right. for Paul. And also, why didn't you offer that to begin with? Oh, that's a good point. Right. Why did he have to go work at the bistro to begin with if you had admin stuff he could do while he was waiting to recover? Oh, I I know. So that Paul could steal cars. Oh, right. We needed that to happen, remember? Right. We didn't need that to happen. No, we didn't need that to happen. That sucked. Uh, Yeah. So at the appointment, Bernie is looking for hope as Paul talks with the specialist about the new treatment. It seems that as the MND Paul has is unlikely to be genetic, nobody else in his family has it. Right. There's that no, they know of. Right. There's no real chance that the new medication will work. Bernie wants to cling on to the slightest of chances, any one in a million, but Paul is adamant that this is not the support he needs. There is no hope. He needs help dealing with the certainty here. And I thought it was really nice or nice to acknowledge the bit before he goes to the um, to the meeting with the, the specialist, how mm-hmm. he says that to qualify for this, he needs to be that kind of needs to be mm-hmm. a, a genetic right. part, part to the disease, right? And if he does have a genetic part to the disease, then 
Gemma's at risk now and so the, the quads yeah so it's like kind of do you wish do you wish for this to be the case at the expense that, that somebody you love might get it right. at some point in the future yeah. it's a really Oof. it's a really horrid dilemma Oof. i wonder if they could have made a little bit more of that because it kind of seemed to be dealt with very quickly who knows maybe if they hadn't been wasting their time with car theft we could have been talking about this which actually did seem to be Right. Something that could have caused a bit of human drama here. Yes. Never back, mind. Back home, it's weird to see Gemma in Billy's flat. And it was weird seeing Bernie there too until I was reminded that she was also there last week. Gemma has a word with Billy. She and Chez want to gift their honeymoon to Paul and Billy. Billy doesn't think Paul will accept it. Fucking make him, says Gemma. Everyone's gone, which allows Billy to talk to Paul. He talks about the honeymoon idea and as predicted, Paul is against it. Billy suggests that this is Gemma's way of coping and Paul should make the most of what he has left and Gemma did threaten violence. So Paul, with reluctance, decides to agree on the honeymoon idea. So on Thursday, ahead of the honeymoon, Billy has got a minivan that (laughs) apparently will take a rugby team, according to Todd. Aye. Ed gives him a wee bonus for his hollybobs. Paul makes a joke about his untimely death, which someone does not appreciate. And later, someone and Todd are in cahoots over something and are keen to know when Paul's due to leave. And Paul suspects that something is afloat. And something indeed is afloat because on Friday... Literally. Someone has organised a farewell send-off for Paul and Billy by decorating the minibus into a camper van. That's a camper van. With lots of floats attached to it. That is probably... That will fly off and hit somebody else's windshield and cause a massive accident and many deaths. Probably unroadworthy, but so long as it causes many deaths, I think we're fine with that. (laughs) Thrilled and with Paul wearing a sombrero, which Helen will complain about. Yes, it's racist. They head off on their holiday. Back home, Bernie is filling out forms to claim benefits, which Gemma thinks Paul will want to do for himself when he gets back. But Bernie won't be told, and when she's left on her own... Bernie finally breaks down in tears. And that was that storyline for this week. Oofed. The wedding was great. Yeah. Loved the wedding. Mm-hmm. Yes. Finally happened. We've been Finally happened. We've been complaining this about this forever. Forever. I think this is my favourite Coronation Street wedding of all time. And you've been watching it since 2017? Yeah. Maybe 2016, 2017? Yeah. We started this in 2018. Yeah, yeah I've mean, there have been weddings that have had their drama. Right. We've had Eva and Maria fighting in a fountain, which, you know, wasn't bad. Says you. But this, I really enjoyed this. Yes. The constant, like, gatherings of, of assorted people who have some attachment to Paul to sit around and look gloomily at one another and talk about Paul mm-hmm. could have done with a little less of that because it's all basically the same people. And it's like, Oh, look, it's, it's, it's Todd in, in Gemma's house. Mm-hmm. When has that ever happened? Never. And the whole like waiting for Todd to get there before they tell summer. Does Todd really need to, do we really need the council of three dads mm. to tell Summer that Paul is dying? And, you know, I love how funny Todd is. I didn't love him, you know, being funny and stuff before he found out exactly what was going on. The whole, no, let me guess, you're pregnant, yuck, 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 sort mm. of thing. I was like, you know, time and place. 
time and place. But he didn't know there was time or place. No, that's true. But the writers did. I know. I was okay with that. I wasn't okay with them waiting for it's like why we why we giving Todd this special treatment here. Right. It didn't seem didn't seem like it was right. worthy, especially after you know, we keep on saying that the show hasn't really dealt with this properly and it hasn't really no, dealt with this properly. Really so when hasn't. things like this happen, you're like, wait a minute, these these people still have unresolved beef with each other right. after Todd's horrendous behaviour. It's like the other thing that the show refuses to respond to properly in the other storyline that we will talk about later that it tried to address this week, but it really did it improperly. And now there's really no going back. No. Which makes me, which is one of the things that really upsets me about that storyline, which we will get to later. But there was something else that we thought the show wasn't going to address in another storyline that did get addressed that I loved, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Yes, but, yes. Um, so, you know, I don't know. And I didn't really like Bernie giving Dee Dee the, the eye there at the end saying, you should have told me I'm his mother sort of thing. I mean, I can understand that, but she's already kind of done that with with Billy, hasn't hasn't she? And he's like, Well, I just found out myself too. I mean, when did when did Bernie ever find out that Dee Dee was the only one who knew for the longest time? When Me- did that conversation even happen? Bernie just needs to be angry at people. And and why in all of these, you know, groups of people and apparently they have a group chat on their phones as well to do this stuff. Why is Dee Dee not involved in that? She's been like the best friend Paul's ever had yeah. for so much of the storyline. I'm I'm glad the whole Ed stuff is addressed though, and and the the show is allowing Ed to still be part of Paul's life because sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah, I was surprised that the the revelation Well, I wasn't surprised that Revelation came when it did, but I was surprised that it extended as quickly as it did once the cat was out of the bag. Right. Because the the show was kind of teetering on the idea of people thinking that Paul is work shy and lazy. Right. Because Aggie was getting a beaner bonnet about this because Ed was having to work so many hours because right. there's Paul sitting in the, the calf. Doesn't look like anything's wrong with him. Right. Why isn't he helping you out? And it looked like they were going to go somewhere with that. And I'm glad yeah, that I'm they glad didn't they because didn't. we didn't need that added no. to, to the extra drama that we'd been, that we'd been given. We but, don't... We don't get to see Summer's initial reaction when Paul tells her so either, it. and that exactly, was weird. Exactly what I was about to say was, they, and, I'm, and I'm kind of glad they did it, because we didn't want to see the same conversation happening over and over and over again. Yeah. But what we ended up seeing was the first half of that conversation happening over and over again, or the second half of that conversation happening somewhere else. Right. So you see Summer looking on edge, waiting for the news. And right. then the next we see her, I think she's sitting outside when she bumps into Roy. Right, right. And becomes part of the Roy story and becomes part of the Roy storyline because of this conversation. So it, it it's like she doesn't get a chance to really be upset at Paul for not telling her, you know, and and that I think was something that I would have have liked to have seen for mm-hmm. for Paul to realize how important he is to so many people and how it hurts them for him to have not yes. shared this. Yeah, I agree. And if I, it feels if like that's all skimmed over. I would have rather seen a, a quick scene where they said, "Well, that's everyone told now." Mm-hmm. 
and spent more time on the summer situation. Yeah. And and her reaction to it. Right. Because I think the two of them are close enough it kind of warranted it. Right. Yeah. It's one of her dads. And it would be nice to see someone react to the news just with sadness rather than anger. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, well. Shall we move on? If we must. Our next storyline tonight is Freddy's Newts. Yay! Oh, thank God. (laughs) On Monday, Evelyn and Roy are all dressed up to the nines ahead of the wedding in another storyline. Nina whispers to Evelyn that Roy has been sleepwalking again. Uh Uh-oh. And we all remember what happened the last time Roy went sleepwalking. Yes. Peter's boat burnt down. Yes. Peter doesn't have a boat to burn this time. What's going to happen? There's been a... There's been a bit of a confusion with the times and Freddy is scheduled to get his knackers snipped today. So Roy and Evelyn have to go and do that, which means that they're going to miss most of the wedding. And while they've been gone, Nina has taken a call from the hospital, which Roy explains is just about a checkup. This gets Roy all flustered and he ends up burning Stu's cheese toasty before throwing everyone out and closing early. This is exactly why he didn't want anyone to know about his upcoming operation. He's getting a uh, stent implanted yes on tuesday nina rolls evelyn is chatting to roy about cerberus's mood after he got his dingly danglies whipped off she tells him to check with the vet to see how freddie is doing and while he's at it he should probably give the hospital a call too and i thought this was part of the beauty of the relationship between roy and evelyn is that evelyn since the end of monday mm-hmm. wants roy to phone the hospital yes and has said to him to phone the hospital, yes. but she can't really say to him too directly to phone the hospital again because that would show that she cares. Right. So what she has to do instead is tell this long story about Cerberus and, and his testicles and, right. and bring that to Freddy's testicles. And maybe you should phone to find out how Freddy's testicles are doing. Right. And while you're up. Well, they're gone. You might as well phone the hospital and see about the right. see about the heart thing. And I, I thought that was a... A very in keeping with Evelyn yes. uh, move. Yes. So, turns out, wouldn't you believe it, there's been a textbook cancellation and they've got a slot to put the stent in at the end of the week. Roy is still anxious about it but maintains his position that Nina won't find out and the real storyline, which is apparently he's be- going to be going away for a couple of days, is still the official excuse. On Wednesday, Roy is up late getting dressed as he bursts into the cafe from upstairs, he puts his jumper on back to front. Yes, which is hilarious. And it's and it's back to front for the, the rest whole of the episode. episode. And he worries that he's been sleepwalking again because the front door was open all night and Freddy is missing. And he hurries off to find his dog dragging Nina with him. Evelyn joins in this, as they search the streets. Then they happen upon Summer who is upset and tells him about Paul and another storyline. And how he kept his MND quiet and how that's made her feel. And this seems to give Roy some food for thought about his situation. Mm -hmm. Roy tells Evelyn later about how upset Nina will be if anything happens and how damaging secrets can be just as Beth turns up. She's found a dog and hands him over and Roy's jumper is still on back to front. It's just so funny. Yes. Apparently, apparently Freddie was sniffing around Peanut, Mm -hmm. so it's a good thing they snipped those balls when they did. Right. He goes back to the cafe and bluntly tells... Nina, what's going on with his stent? Nina immediately throws her arms around him and given the circumstances, Roy says he will allow this display of affection. And you know, there have been several moments during this week's episodes where 
you know, there was some gatherings of moisture in the corners of my eye. Mm. And this was one of them. Yes. Nina, as she just throws herself yes. at Roy, who's just stoically standing no there. No anger. No, you know, why didn't you tell me sooner? Mm-hmm. No, just straight to the hug. His hair is messy this whole episode as well, which I found <laughs> delightful to see Roy with bangs. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's so delightful. <laughs> Yeah, dishevelled Roy, with, and his shirt's not tucked in properly. No. His jumper's on back to front. He's and it's a V-neck place. as well, so it's really obvious that it's backwards. <laughs> when Evelyn comes round later, Roy tells her that he told Nina and delivers some letters to Evelyn to be given to those who might be affected in the event that something happens during his surgery. Evelyn thinks this is overkill, but agrees and tells him that they'll be handed back the minute that he comes round from the operation. On Thursday at home, Evelyn has gone through the envelopes that Roy gave her. Tyrone suggests putting the kettle on so that they can steam open the letters. But Evelyn is appalled. The letters will only be opened if he dies, she says, choking up a bit. She has trouble saying if he dies. Right. And if he lives, the letters will be going through the shredder. Meanwhile, at Nina's Rolls, Roy is preparing to leave for his op. Evelyn comes in to say that she's heading to the hospital anyway to see a friend and offers to travel with Roy. Roy agrees and asks who her friend is. You. She says. Yeah, plank. That was beautiful. It was. That it was, was just simply the, beautiful. The best, uh, this better win best relationship <laughs> in the Soap Awards. That's all I'm saying. Sometimes the show gets it right. And this is where the show gets it right. This relationship is just so precious to me. It gets the relationship, the relationship right. And it gets the delivery of just these two simple, simple lines. Uh-huh. Who's your friend? You. Right. And then she's quickly, she just passes over it. Come on, let's go and get the taxi. Right. Oh, it's just so beautifully done. Yes. We're at the hospital. It's Evelyn and Roy waiting uh, in the room, waiting for Roy to be taken away. All aboard, says the porter, and he's loaded into a wheelchair. Paw, says Evelyn. That was so cute. Roy brings up his <laughs> Roy brings up his hand like a dog holding up his paw. And she touches his hand and he keeps his hand raised as he's whisked off. Right, yes. Looking confused. And it's heart and it's heartbreaking. Right. And nothing bad has happened yet. No. But still your heart's breaking as yeah. Roy raised his hand up his wee paw. Back home, Evelyn is steaming open the letter anyway. Tyrone catches her and is very pleased with himself. He's keen to know what Roy wrote too. And so she opens it. But we don't find out anything about it until Friday. And Tyrone wants to know what the letter says, so Evelyn passes it on to him. He reads it out aloud for our benefit, with Evelyn seeming to mouth bits that she's already memorised. Right. The letter asks her to keep an eye on Nina and says that he values her friendship, but says that she hides her kindness away and he wishes that she wouldn't. Okay, goodbye now, Roy. Right, yes. And he apologises for the inconvenience of dying, mm-hmm. which is so Roy. <laughs> Meanwhile, Yasmin has gone to visit Roy. And she's How does only... she know that he was there? And what she... is going on here? And she's only gone and been wearing Haley's red anorak. Ta-da! Uh, when I see her, I was like, oh, Yasmin's got a new coat. Yeah. <gasps> Wait a minute. Wait a second. She's picked it up from the hospital charity shop. Right. So it's been picked up from 
the precinct charity shop and donated to another charity shop. If I remember correctly, this was like a grand, you know, pickup for oh, for the yes, local mm-hmm. charity shops. So they were distributed. So things were picked up and then equally divided amongst the charity shops in in the area. Right. So when Roy kind of w- opens his eyes, the first thing he says is jacket. Right. It's Haley's jacket. Yeah. And Yasmin's completely taken aback, but Roy can describe that there's a little, a hole. little hole in one of the pockets where some uh, pink coins used to fall through. And Yasmin looks and confirms it's there. There's a hole in the pocket. Not like that. Dear Liza, dear Liza. Back in the street, meanwhile, Tyrone offers to seal the letter back up again, but Evelyn plans to be honest and also to tell Roy that she values his friendship too. And she calls the hospital and gets the news that everything went smoothly with the operation. So Evelyn hightails it to the hospital and sees Roy chatting with Yasmin about the red anorak. Yeah, all right, Roy, you've got your anorak back. You can stop going on about it now. Well, you know, Roy, he's, ta- he's talking about Haley, well, and, sure. and, and Haley saying that the the hole in the pocket was was a way to dispense charity and mm-hmm. and all this other just lovely Haley stuff. Roy and Yasmin are having a heavy conversation about just their general history and. And stuff, and Evelyn is devastated by this as she as she listens on unseen. So she leaves without anyone knowing that she was there, which was kind of sad. And back home, she's taking a prit stick to the letter and deciding now that dishonesty is the best policy. The front door goes, and in comes Carla. All right, ball bags, she says, <laughs> and checks to see which ward Roy is in. Evelyn is weird, so Carla just leaves to visit Roy. Well, Evelyn seals up the envelope, and that's as far as we get with that. This and makes week. a crack in Americans. Did she? Yeah, because the the whole you know thing about he's being wheeled off on a gurney t- on his next journey. Oh, and yes. Tyrone says, "Why did you say that?" And she's like, "You're right, too American." Gurney should have said yes. trolley. Should have said trolley, which is not really right. a trolley either, because a trolley is like a shopping cart, right? Well, a hospital trolley is probably... People would know what you meant if you uh, said hosp- hospital trolley. Yeah. But yeah, gurney. I don't think anyone says gurney in the UK. Except apart for from Evelyn. Evelyn. Mm-hmm. So that was as far as we got with that. Lovely. Uh, well... I'm happy to see the Anorak back. I'm kind of sad that we didn't get our grand our grand mystery machine adventure to find the anorak. That was it's kind of anticlimactic. An opportunity missed that it just happened to reappear. Right. Which means it could have done that at any time. Right. Uh, yeah, I would have preferred someone to go and find it. Right. Or something to happen to try right. and track it down. But Instead of Yasmin just happening to be there. and I, I guess. Right. How on earth did she know that he was having this operation today when it was rescheduled and... And why he wasn't would telling she, people. Yeah, and why would she be there right when he wakes up? Why did Evelyn even leave? Because I thought she would be staying there and waiting for his operation to end instead of instead of taking back off. Tyrone could take care of Freddie. Yeah. Uh, well, and the reason why is so that she could overhear this conversation with Yasmin and Ty- and um, Roy. So Evelyn thinks that something's going on between. Yasmin and Roy. I don't think so. Which I don't I, think I so. called quite some time ago. I think I think it's it's Roy the way Roy is talking about Haley 
that upsets her that that she realizes that she oh I see that the relationship with Haley was something so very special and that Haley was the complete opposite of Evelyn mm-hmm. oh yeah and, absolutely you know and so they could never you know it would never in her mind that means it would never work she could never fill Haley's shoes mm. I don't think it's necessarily Yasmin that bothers her. Because Yasmin is with Stu. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's soap and it's drama and nothing straightforward and simple ever seems to happen. But it felt like we were getting getting somewhere. Yes. Where, you know, they've touched a couple of times and they've kind of admitted their feelings a little of Roy has at least albeit shrouded in a death letter right which which was never intended to be to be read so I don't know it feels like we're inching ever so, so right. closer to this but she's leaving soon I'm so I'm amazed that she hasn't left already based on right. what we've we've talked about and, and when she's gone off on her, her tour right so yeah it must be soon it must be soon I am thrilled that the operation went well. Yes, because if it hadn't, because that we would have protested. Oh, it would have been rioting in the streets Heavily. of Eaton Rapids. I mean, Michigan would have been on fire. Yes, we had uh, the the still of Roy as he's getting whisked away was right. kind of released a couple of weeks before, and I'm like, this this better, this not, better happen. not be happening. And I'm glad it didn't. Right, but it's it's bringing home just a little bit how fragile the how fragile everything is and yes. and how how moments have to be seized every now and again and I, I hope that do I hope that Evelyn seizes the opportunity? I I do think I like the two of them yes. together. Yes. I, I do think it, it works because it doesn't work. I think it works because it works. Because they're complete opposites. Yes, but that's and, the charming Roy, thing about them. And Roy is very high maintenance. Well, so is Evelyn. And they're delightful together. They are delightful together. They, they, they round off one another's sharp edges, so to speak. I was a little taken aback that for all the, the chat and the back and forth about telling Nina that once she found out, she didn't even bother going to see him. Right. That was funny. So why did we She had to run the calf. The, the number of times that, that calf's been closed, I don't think it would right. have mattered. And then even Jenny had to take over. That was hilarious. That was hilarious. <laughs> she, she comes in to get an order. Right. And ends up serving. And somebody wants an omelette. And she's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Get, get your omelette somewhere else. She's like, bloody hell. Talk about a busman's holiday. Right. It was hilarious. Ah, good stuff. All right, where's my guitar? No! Do you know, this is going to be Boo. probably probably the second last time that I play these notes. So, you uh, know, I hate this. I hate this because you can play the guitar and you can sing. And that I, is I not I'm, demonstrated. I'm proven that every this week is, the storyline comes up. This is not demonstrated here. <clears throat> Justin's talking's right again. Again. Boo. Boo. Justin Stalkins rides again, folks. 
Boo. Oh my God, how I hate Justin. Who doesn't? And can I just say a big fuck you to the show for making every bad guy in the storyline Scottish? <laughs> on Monday. <laughs> and number Even one. Even the lawyer. On Monday. It's it's like it's like a Scottish conspiracy here. That, oh, Scottish people can only have Scottish lawyers. The haggis contingency. Yes, delicious. Which reminds me that I defrosted that earlier and I ate some of it. I need to remember and eat the rest of it. Yeah. On Monday, and number one, the trial is confirmed to Wednesday, for Wednesday with Daisy and Daniel not going to the wedding and another storyline after what happened on their big day. And that kind of reminds us that they ha- they've had plenty to think about but right is it indefinitely nobody's, postponed nobody's nobody has said about anything about redoing the wedding hmm. later after a quick shite daniel notices that daisy is still doing her crystal impression before daisy can explain herself karen justin's sister walks into the bar and of course her name is karen karen <clears throat> she offers her apologies for what justin did and hopes that he goes down and gets the help that he needs i was amazed that daisy could remember her name Oh, it's let's, Karen. And, Hiya, Karen. And let's all remember her saying this. Let's all remember her saying that she hopes he goes down so he can get the help he needs. Let's all remember she says this. And all let's all remember that over a month ago, we were introduced to this character when she seeks Daisy out to say, Justin's done this before. You need to this be careful of him. not... An isolated situation. Let's remember all of these things moving forward in this horrendous storyline, shall we? I fucking hate this show sometimes. Uh, Listeners, I think, get ready for more of this. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) On Tuesday, Daniel thinks it's weird that Karen is here, you think? And warns Daisy not to trust her, you think again? So they chat a bit more and Karen says something weird that she doesn't know why Justin thought he'd stand a chance with Daisy. That was a really weird thing to say. But before anyone can react, Ryan and Carla wander in. All right, ball bags, says Carla. Yay! Ryan wants to leave when he sees Daisy, but Daisy pleads for them to stay. So Carla and Ryan are chit-chatting when they spot Karen still there and staring over at Ryan. I don't know why Karen's still there. I'm not sure why she was there in the first place, but I don't know why she's still there. To get apart, a drink and she was talking from, to Daisy. Apart from to overhear what's about to happen. Right, yeah. Yeah, which, once you find out who she is, why would you air this dirty laundry out in front of this person? Carla is a smart human being. And yes, yeah, she's emotional about this whole thing. Mm, very protective of Ryan. Right, but why would she be shouting exposition across the bar? At this moment. Yeah. She wouldn't, is my point. Karen is still there, staring over at Ryan. Carla is about to ask Karen for a square go when Daisy calms the situation temporarily, but then explains that Karen is Justin's sister. Then matters get nasty when Daisy tries to say that Karen's okay because she apologised to her. But this just aggravates the situation and Carla and Ryan both have a go at Daisy for leading men on and splitting up Ryan and Alia and Karen seems very interested in this while Daniel insists that Daisy is the true victim here because Daisy's stuck with him. Haha. <laughs> yeah. Why why do you why do you feel like now, Ryan, 
Now is the time to misremember what happened with Daisy. Thank God he didn't remember correctly what happened with Daisy. Because can you imagine if the actual truth came out Mm -hmm. about the sexual assault? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God he misremembers. But the fact that Carla is just... First of all, the fact that Carla is throwing another woman under the bus. Well, can we can we first of all, before we get to your first of all. Right. Because there is a first of all where Daisy is so insensitive that she says that Karen's apologized to her. Ah. Uh-huh. While Ryan is sitting there. Well. Which, I mean, th- there, is pro- there is probably a, a, a good way to say that. That's not the good way to say that. Because well, that's kind of saying, it's all right, everything's fine, she's apologised to me, we're all cool here. Yeah, well, that's, it didn't feel like that's what she was saying, she, because they're like, why is she here? She's here because she wanted to apologise to me. Not, okay, everything is fine because she apologised to me. She's here because she wanted to apologise to me. She's not here to apologise to Ryan because she didn't know that Ryan was going to be here because Ryan doesn't live here and Ryan doesn't work here. Yes, but the way that she says it, is very inflammatory and that the only reason that it's inflammatory is to kickstart all this happening there are so many things that are said in this scene that have no business to be said that make no sense for these for this conversation to be happening correct right here right then right other than to further the plot right yes and to further the plot in a really fucked up way (laughs) that's going to affect Lots of people watching the show who have been through shit like this instead of, you know, giving us a straightforward, let's send the bad guy down storyline, which would be very cathartic for all of the other, for all of the people watching who have been in a stalking situation. It's like that stupid fucking court case with what's his name? The, the other rapey scumbag who took pictures of Asha and posted them on the internet. What was his name? The kid that she was... Oh, Corey. ITV How could Corey. I forget ITV, ITV Corey. Corey? It's ITV Corey's court case all over again, where, oh no, oh no, the scumbag might get off. The scumbag might get off. There's plenty of human drama here without doing the whole schlocky, the scumbag might get off. It's a recent... I think it's a recent trait. Maybe it's not a recent trait, but it feels like it's a recent trait where... There is this augmentation of the drama that happens. You have a storyline with drama and it has a finishing point. But rather than taking that finishing point, we augment it by throwing in a not guilty verdict that ends up dragging it on for another six months and then justice is served. Right, yeah. And uh, I ain't a fan of that. No, I'm not a fan of it. I <laughs> and I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen here. I don't know what's going to happen right. here, but... I wasn't a fan with it with the whole ITV Koi thing. I'm not a fan of it and the whole Amy versus Aaron thing. It, first of all, it's a terrible device. Mm. It's a terrible device and it can negatively affect your viewers who have been in these situations in their real life. Second of all, I've just named three times that it's happened in like the last, what, two years? And two of those times that it's happened are happening simultaneously. <laughs> so maybe maybe let's do something different in at least one of them. Please. They're, they need to generate drama. That's, that's what they think that they need to do. Right, yeah, but this is... But over and above that, I, these 
bad stars that are aligning to make this conversation happen and, and this information to be imparted just feels so manufactured. Yeah. I, I, I really hate it. So many people in this scene are saying things that they would never say in public right. to each other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And <sighs> would especially not say in front of this person. A complete stranger. But in front, Yeah, who is related to the guy they all want to see sent down, including at this point, this person. But her side of the conversation, her side of saying Justin deserves to be sent down, deserves to get the help that he needs, coupled with the the conversation from a couple of months ago, the fact that out of everything that's been remembered here so far, none of it is anything that Karen has said is so frustrating that, that no one no one is confronting her about this except when they do outside the court later where it right. doesn't matter. Yeah. Later, Daisy goes round to see Ryan but ends up speaking with Carla who refuses to let her see him and Carla says that she will protect Ryan at any cost and tells Daisy to stay away. Back at number one, Daisy explains what happened but it looks like Ryan will be at the trial tomorrow after all. Daniel tells Daisy that he's in her corner and he'll be with her every step of the way, which doesn't bring Daisy much joy. She says that she's a terrible person and admits to splitting up Alia and Ryan, but is careful not to tell the full story. But I'm not sure what the show thinks is the full story anymore. Right, yeah. Yeah, because this is not addressing the full story at all. No. I watched those episodes back again, and a lot of it is uh, unspoken and unseen, but she definitely gets Ryan drunk with the intention of sleeping with him. Right. When he tries to leave, she starts feeling him up. Right. And then he passes out. Right. And when they wake up the next morning, right. she pretends that nothing could have happened. And Right, because he was too drunk. Right. But she's wearing his shirt. Right. And he's naked in her bed. Right. Yes. And, it's, and, when, and nobody's mentioning this. And also... It is incredibly frustrating because that that part of it is all on Daisy. Mm-hmm. But oh, the other right. stuff, the breaking up Ryan and Alia, Ryan had a part in that. Mm-hmm. Ryan did not have to have... Ryan gave attention to Daisy that he should not have been giving to Daisy before and after that happened. He made a decision to be there in the rovers doing the cocktail tasting. Right. And to do the DJ thing with Daisy, even though he knew that Alia wasn't comfortable with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like throwing an awful lot of responsibility onto Daisy without considering Ryan's part in that. On Wednesday at number one, Daisy is worried that Justin is going to get off today, but Daniel thinks it's impossible. Justin is going down for a long time. To take her mind off it, Daisy pretends to be Crystal to Ryan again. Meanwhile, Carla is going to court ahead of Ryan, who isn't quite mentally ready to leave, but he wants Carla to be there to listen to how the opening went. Right, and also <coughs> because plot. <laughs> Later, he's on his way to court when he's approached by Karen, who tells him that she's told Justin's solicitor about Daisy's manipulative Why? ways with Ryan claiming that she had to do this for her brother. This is going to help his case. And this pretty much puts a lid on Ryan going to the court and he panics and he runs back inside. And let's all remember, gentle, gentle listeners, this is the woman who just the day before said 
She hopes her brother goes down and gets the help that he needs. Yeah, all of a sudden, their dead mother's uh, pride is relying on him getting off for right. throwing acid into a woman's face. Right, yes. All <laughs> of a sudden, all of a sudden, she goes from he needs to go down and get the help he needs to my mother's memory. Mm-hmm. And it's all hinging on this one thing, even though she knows Justin has done this sort of thing to other women in the past and knows her brother has a history of doing this. Well, we're about to enter a court case where Daisy's past becomes very much front and center. So I'm wondering why Justin's Justin's life is never front and center. Right. Yeah. Which is yet another thing that really, really irritates me about this whole thing. Is how inept the solicitor for Daisy and Ryan is. Well, let's get to that. At the court, as proceedings start, Carl is worried that Ryan hasn't shown up and sends him a text. The prosecution makes a case for Daisy being let down by the justice system already. The defence claim that there is no independent evidence that Justin was the one who threw the acid and they can only work on the evidence that is presented, which is true enough. Which is hilarious considering what happens later. Later, the barristers are talking to Daniel while Daisy does a shite, and when she comes out, she knows something is wrong. Jenny and Carla in the court know that something's wrong too. Ryan is due to be cross-examined first, and he's AWOL. The judge grants him a recess, which Justin's lawyer takes as a good sign, and Justin gives a big thumbs up. Carla heads off to phone Ryan, but Daisy has got there first. He tells her that he can't do this because the defence now thinks that she manipulated Justin, just like she manipulated Ryan. Daisy calls it gossip, but Ryan calls it the truth, which they were meant to have on their side, remember? But now that's gone. Now he has to lie because Daisy is a manipulating cow. Daisy says that she's not that person anymore and she's sorry for what she did. He knows that she's sorry and he knows that she regrets it, but he's already lost so much protecting her. Surely that's enough. Right, but Ryan, this is the guy who threw acid in your face too and has ruined your life. Don't you want justice? For yourself? Hmm. What is going on? Again, you know, they keep throwing all of this goofy shit into this thing just to prolong it and to increase drama where there's drama enough already to mine. Hmm. It's Paul stealing cars all over again. I didn't mind this scene quite so much because I thought Charlie Jordan... The acting that she's doing here without saying a word, right. when she's just, she closes her eyes and lets him say these horrible things to her. Right. Which, at the time, were true. Right. But again, it takes two to tango. Sure. But he says this stuff to her about her being manipulating, and you can see her close her eyes and take a breath to maintain her cool and her calm, and then, very fragile as she says... She's not that person anymore. Yeah. And I thought, this character really has had a rehabilitation. Yes. That, that we are we are too, not question too closely, mm-hmm. but there's an acknowledgement there that she's not that person anymore. And no shit, she's not that person anymore. But I thought that scene from her point of view was incredibly well done. But I agree, it's we're gilding the lily here for some right, reason. Right, yes. On Thursday, Daisy's having a panic attack ahead of her day in court and Jenny and Daniel are fucking useless, particularly Daniel. 
So Daniel goes over to have a word with Ryan and kind of tries to bully him into going to court and testifying his plan because if he doesn't, Justin's going to get off and Daisy will be destroyed. He thanks Ryan for what he did and implores him to do the right thing and Carla's heard enough. Out, ball bag, she says. This is a scene that I actually kind of liked because when Daniel does this, when Daniel thanks him for doing what he did, Ryan says... If I had it to do it all over again, I wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. I wish I hadn't have done it. Yep. And that's honest. Yeah. And yeah. that's true. And that's real. That's real. That's yeah. like the actual drama here. Mm-hmm. You know, and we we just get this brief glimpse of that. And Daniel, to his credit, says, I wish neither one of you were there, mm-hmm. you know. But that scene where he says that uh-huh. immediately takes me back to the scene where it happened. Right. And his screams. Yes. And it all just comes flooding back. And it's just the the impression that that is left right. of that attack where you didn't really see very much. Right. It's, it's mostly what you hear is, is where the horror lies in that scene, really. Because mm-hmm. you don't the camera's out of focus and it's not really looking at them too much or they're in the shower and you can't really see what's going on. Right. But you can hear them. Yeah. And it's what you hear that you remember. Right. And I remembered it very vividly as he's talking about that because no shit you wish you weren't there and right. you wish that that hadn't happened. Yeah. Absolutely no shit. Hoofed. So Ryan is still thinking it over later while he watches Daisy and Ryan drive off. At the court, Justin's barrister is thrilled because Ryan hasn't shown up. Justin calls him Connor calls him by his last name just to make you hate Justin that little bit more. Yes. And the barrister thinks this makes their case look weak. She tells Justin to stay calm no matter what happens. Let the other side get flustered. As they're waiting to be called, Daniel has a bright idea for Daisy to text Ryan posing as Crystal and emotionally blackmail him into coming to court. Well done, Daniel. Well done. Are you fucking for real right now, says Daisy? Except she doesn't and she should have. Then she gets called, but has another panic attack. So instead, it's Daniel who's called to the stand, and he recaps the stalker storyline as best as he can. The defence, though, tears into him a bit, gets him to admit that his relationship with Daisy was on again, off again, and he has to admit to assaulting Justin that time he broke into number one. He broke into his house. If somebody broke into my house, if somebody who I didn't know or who I didn't want in my house walked through my back door, even if my back door was unlocked. Yeah, it's your fault that you didn't lock the back door? Right, no, no. If somebody walks into my house who's not supposed to be there, I'm kicking their ass. They made made such a big deal over the fact that the door was unlocked and you didn't do any damage, so right. what's the problem here? And at this point, and I think at every other point while the defence barrister is talking, like, where is the prosecution guy during all right. this? Right, seriously, he's just... He does finally say something. Way too late. Way too late, though. But still, it's like, it's so very frustrating. And it does kind of feel like this is another device that they're using to try to build drama. But again, it just infuriates the watcher. (laughs) Daniel does manage to get a few digs in against Justin by rubbing in the fact that he's the one that's marrying Daisy, probably. Maybe. The defense lawyer focuses and seems to be their game plan here is establishing that Daisy is a bit of a slag. 
Meanwhile, outside during a recess, there is no sign of Ryan. Carla shows up and talks to Daisy about the courage that she needed to testify against her rapist back in the day. She wanted to walk away from that too, but she knows it would have haunted her. She had to face her demon. So Daisy is called and she gets her side out during the prosecution questions and talks about the date Justin threw the acid, but again the defence focus on her history and the lawyer accuses her of manipulating the assault at Victoria Gardens to get one PC Craig Tinker involved. Right, yeah. And accuses her of sending mixed messages to men in her life, including Justin. Right, yeah, and at no point, at no point does her lawyer stand up and protest any of this. Right. Speculation. Daisy insists that she never gave mixed messages to Justin. Questioning over, Daisy leaves the witness box and is heading out when the prosecution calls her final witness, one Ryan Connor. Oh, no. The, she says, she, the, the lawyer says to her, well, weren't you nice to him once? Mm-hmm. Being nice to a man is not an invitation to sleep with her or stalk her. Being nice to someone does not mean you are interested in a romantic relationship. I hate this. Mm -hmm. It is so terrible. And for this to be coming out of another woman's mouth. It always is. It always is. It's just so disgusting. Remember the the other female barrister that they had? Was it... um was it the ITV Corey case? It was ITV Corey's barrister yeah. was a woman and she was an absolute pain in the proverbials, let's yes. say. Yes, she was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, final witness is called, it's Ryan Connor, and then he comes and Justin shits himself a bit. On Friday, Ryan has given his account of what happened on the day of the attack, how he thought it was water that was in the glass, and he struggles to explain exactly how it felt having it in his face, but his face was made of pain and he was trying to claw his face off to get rid of the pain. And as Daisy's listening to this, she's in tears. She's Right, yeah, she's reliving it too. Yeah. The defence lawyer continues to make out that Daisy is a lying slag and paints Ryan as the slighted ex-lover. Ryan denies it and is thrown when someone uh, brings a glass of water for him and he has a brief flashback. Right. And he loses his temper a bit and says that he's okay. The defence lawyer suggests that Ryan had access to acid from any number of cleaners in the pub or the bistro where he worked. Right, which is <laughs> a stretch because those things are mixed with other things to make them less dangerous. Mm-hmm. And suggests that he was the one that threw the acid and Justin was the intended victim. Ryan is furious at the suggestion that he scarred himself. Right. Which the defence picks but, up on, saying that Ryan is obviously angry enough to carry out the attack while her, Mr Rutherford, is cool as a cucumber. Thank you very much. Right. So she's she's like, you threw it at Justin and somehow the wind blew it back in his face? <laughs> what is... And the fact that none of this, none of this can... All of this is speculation. Mm-hmm. All of this is leading and their lawyer is just sitting there and letting this woman put this idea in the minds of the jury mm-hmm. is just so egregious. Yep. Justin is called next. Seems the prosecution didn't get a chance to question him. And so it's the defence who give him free reign to spin a story of him having a relationship with Daisy and Ryan being the one who tried to throw the acid. But the attack went wrong and it the wind caught it and blew it back into Ryan, and so Justin ran for his life. And Daisy now thinks Justin is going to get away with this. Yeah, 
neglecting the fact that there were no fingerprints on the glass and the only person wearing gloves was uh, Justin. Uh, yeah, another cavern cavern size plot hole to drive through and and we don't get to see the prosecution cross cross examine no, this witness and i think we should we should and yet again it feels like a thing that they're doing so that we're like oh i don't know what's going to happen and instead you're giving people anxiety attacks <laughs> which is not a good thing right i don't know maybe the defense gets a turn on monday but we'll see Meanwhile, outside the court, Ryan is apologetic to Daisy and then they confront Karen, who says Daisy is manipulative and a slag, so Justin got that right. Right, and then she says, this woman who on Monday said, I hope he goes down so he gets the help he needs. Now she says he'd never survive in prison. (laughs) Ryan shouts that Karen knows what Justin is like and promises to do him in if he gets away with it. Always late in the scene, Daniel shows up and pulls Ryan away while Jenny officially bars Karen from the rover again. Well done, Jenny. (laughs) In the pub later, Ryan sends Daisy a message about meeting up in the Ginnel. Ryan meets her there and apologises again for getting angry and he sobs about how he's drowning and how he wants it all to end and Daisy says, don't you be talking like that, sir. No. And wipes the tears from his eyes and then kisses him on the mouth. What the fuck? What the fuck? No. Shocked, Ryan backs away just as Mr. Late to the Party shows up, checking everything's okay. Daisy says Ryan was a no-show while in the alleyway of doom. Ryan is pulling his hood down close to his face. And that is how we end this week's episodes. What the fuck? We knew this was coming. Right, but still. But still. Why? Uh, Just put him back with Alia. They worked really well together and it was so cute and I loved them together. Why? Why must we do this? So I said on Twitter just before we started recording here who's got daisy loves ryan but he finds out about crystal so rejects her and then daisy plans to marry daniel then ryan scuppers her wedding day but daisy says it's too late for them and then crystal comes back and takes ryan to abitha finally on their cory bingo cards it just feels like there is just something in in the works here because ryan as sure as night follows day is going to find out about crystal yeah there's no point in him finding out when he and Daisy aren't on speaking terms or right. or are weird with each other. Right. So he's going to find that out when maybe they're pursuing a relationship. Right. So and that, that can already be, broken Daniel's heart. So that can be broken up. And, well, maybe Daniel's, you know. Maybe wh- whatever. whatever. <clears throat> so you just know that there's going to be this ongoing scuppering of plans and people rearranging and going out with somebody else and then that ends up getting broken up because somebody decides that they wanted something else after all and the person that they want isn't available anymore so then has to be manufactured to become available and uh, yeah I know. and i knew this was going to happen we knew this was going to happen that that people have said enough times that daisy and ryan have a connection that cannot be broken now because they will always have the trauma of this binding right. them together. Right. And you can call that codependency if you like. Because it is. But but that's what the two of them have got together. Yeah. And it feels like the show is determined to make them try and ride it out for a little while and, and see what happens. And I don't, I don't know 
I didn't get from the end of that how Ryan feels about no. this. He's shocked, but yeah. I don't know if he's shocked in a good way or shocked in a bad way, or if he's just confused. confused. And she seems to confused. be shocked into, I'm just proving that horrible barrister's point. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm becoming that person right. again that I've said that I'm not. Right. In the same week that you said that you're not that person, two days right. later, this is what you're doing that, yeah. that kind of suggests that you are. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, not happy. Not happy with this whole storyline. I mean, like I said, there were bits in the storyline that I thought I thought were were well done, and there were lines in this that I thought they were great. I thought there were performances that were great, but the aspects of the storyline and where it's going, and the way they forced it <sighs> into this whole, you know, this thing that would never happen happens, and then these other happen and then people who say one thing on monday say something completely different on friday there's so much about this case this court case that is missing yeah and it's leaving such a terrible taste in the mouth because right. it's missing these these vital aspects of right it, these of, really of, human of character people, aspects of it people remembering things that have happened right not yeah. so long ago or earlier this week right Getting the chance to see the defence tear uh, just into peace because because his barrister seems to think the person who's going to win this is the person who keeps a hold of their temper the longest, right? Yeah, and can tell and can tell an intra, you know the best story because the, <laughs> there's so many places to blow Justin's story apart. Mm-hmm. Completely. I mean, the text messages alone prove the fact that Daisy did not want to have anything to do with him. Right. They could not be more clear. And they're right there in black and white. The assault that he pleaded guilty to. Right. Is now a matter of record. Right. Right. And now the, the barrister is trying to call that into question when it's already a matter of record. The fact that, you know, there's this implication that if a woman, and this happened with the whole Amy thing too, this implication that if a woman is sexually adventurous or has had multiple partners or has made bad decisions in her life, she's automatically guilty. Mm-hmm. You know, that this happened with Amy's text messages about her having sex in a, in a club. And, and woe betide a woman who has a social media profile right. that, that makes her sound positive about how she's feeling. Right, yeah. Because that has to be taken as read. Right, and yeah. Yeah, that was really uh, frustrating too. Oh, well, you didn't say anything about it in your social media. Living your best life, eh? It doesn't sound like you're being stalked then. Right, yeah. And all the while, the prosecution's sitting on his hands right. and the, the judge is half asleep. Right. The judge does more to defend Daisy than her lawyer does. But even the judge, it's like, okay, this guy just went through this traumatic experience that burned half his face off. And we're treating him like he needs to be completely in control of his emotions through this whole thing. And it's bad if he's not. And why is the prosecution not schooling Daisy and Ryan and Daniel on what to expect. Right, yeah. To tell them that they need to keep calm. Right. Why is no one having that conversation with them? Right. Or this? why are we not seeing those conversations? Well, t- judging by what's happened, I don't think I don't think that has occurred. And nobody's like pulling them up to say, 
you know, we talked about right keeping calm here and right. and just answer the questions and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I was uh, it's, it's missing so much this, and it deserved so much better than that. Right. I, I'm all for having a question mark over how this is going to go. Right. But the way that they're painting it is it's so obvious that they're trying to make us think that Justin's going to get off with it. Right. Yeah. I personally think he's going to be found guilty. Right. I don't think that the jury's going to believe a word of this because why should they? Right. There's, yeah. there's two people here that's, whose story rings true with each other. Right. And there's one person who's saying that, wait who's a minute. Who's telling this ridiculous story that does. Physics that, needs to be different. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this ridiculous story that Justin's that Brian throws acid and somehow inside it blows back in his face. That the acid used because it's an ingredient in certain cleaners was, you know, could have been like they would know. They'd that know he if it would, was a cleaner, right? They'd, they'd analyze it. They'd know. And also, d- d- are are we supposed to believe that they just have this little glass of acid sitting on a bar <laughs> just in case Justin ever shows up? Mm-hmm. They didn't know Justin was going to show up. They were worried he might, but they didn't know. And it's a bar. Why would they put something really dangerous on the bar? Yeah, something vodka looking behind the bar. Right, yeah. It's just... It's, it's just going it so balls deep and making it seem ridiculous. like this is going to be... A, a Justin victory. There, there's no, there's no rocky prize fight here where it's one side's on top for a moment, and then the other side's on top for the moment. If this was a boxing match, it would have been stopped, and Justin would have been claimed to be the winner because, right. for all the world, it appears that his barster is doing a fantastic job. Right. Oh, no, thank you. And I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Shit like this happens in real life all the time, oh, sure. where you're like, "There's no way this guy's going to get off," and they get off. But you know what? It's never this. It, well, no, it is this ridiculous. But it's like this. There are ways to do it where you're really leaning into the human drama here and not having to manufacture something so completely ridiculous. Because, you know, Justin's whole argument, let's remember in all of this, is that Daisy, he's still saying, Daisy really loves me. She, you know, she really had genuine feelings for me. But then he's also saying she want she conspired with Ryan to throw acid in my face. And that that his barrister saying you're really in love with her, aren't you? Over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. When they have no, you know, this is the this is the woman who at the very beginning was like, "Now remember, we only need, we can only rely upon the facts that are known. And then everything else out of her mouth is speculation. Mm-hmm. And their lawyer says nothing. Well, the, the speculation is probably exactly what she wants to do because what she's wanting to do is introduce an element of doubt. And she doesn't have, and she has the luxury of not having to prove anything. But the, the, the prosecution barrister needs to be on top of this and, right. and needs to be prepared yeah. for this happening and, and doesn't and seem to be inter- present. And interrupt her when she's trying to create this speculate, these ridiculous speculations and also badgering a man who is clearly still traumatized by mm. what has happened to him. Yeah. Oh, well, how, how do you think it's going to go on Monday? I don't fucking care. Well, just care I, for another five seconds. 
I feel like it's going to be drawn out even more and something else is going to happen. And it's going to be just like with ITV Corey and it's going to be drowned out even more. I hope we get to see the prosecutor have a go at Justin. I hope to see Karen on the stand as well. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. No, I don't think that's going to happen either. Because the defense has to call her. Right. Because the prosecution have had their witnesses. Because the fact, the fact of the matter is, is that she has said these things and we need to get her on the stand so that the prosecutor can say, why did you first confront Daisy in the first place? Why did you go there that day? Why did you apologize? Doesn't your brother have a history of this? Mm-hmm. None of that. None of, she just says something to the... And the fact that this is something that is just said like the night before the court case starts and the way, the way that Daisy and Ryan find out isn't through their barrister who would have to have been told yep. that this has happened. No, she finds out through Karen telling Ryan. In the street. In the street. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want a, a legal uh, procedural here, but we need to play by some something right. that looks like yes. the rules. You're right, yeah. It needs to look believable, and this is not believable. Oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. Tell me, Helen, tell me what your moment of the week was. The wedding. It's got to be Gemma walking down the aisle, isn't it? I I think it's more the vows. Oh, the vows? I hated the vows. Really? You hated Gemma's vows being made up of song titles? Oh, with all my heart, I hated that. I loved that. I thought that was really cute. And just the two of them together. just And Billy in a church. (laughs) There's nothing that I hated about the wedding. The wedding was perfect. We're just going to go for the orange wedding then. Yes, the orange wedding. The orange wedding. So much better than the red wedding. And the purple wedding. No, the purple wedding was pretty great. I don't remember the purple wedding. That's where Joffrey choked to death. Oh, yeah, that was great. Anyway, that's not our moment of the week. No. The orange wedding. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Hmm. I have to think about it. What was your boring moment of the week? Was it Jenny, Baron, Karen? Because that was just so pointless. No. no, it's not that. Because I liked I liked everybody finally confronting her, like all together. I was very angry. I, I, I just have this has nothing to do with boring moment of the week. I was very angry that Carla never once apologizes to Daisy for ha- shouting all of that out mm. in front of Karen. Yeah, because she she must. She must take responsibility for that. Yeah, yeah, Carol's kind of got away with that one, hasn't she? Right, yeah. No one's blaming her for it. No, nobody's saying, why did you say that in front of this woman when you knew who she was? Is it the tuna fish that's in Carla's fridge? <sighs> See, I kind of thought that was cute, the, the whole Carla and Ryan trying to make a salmonella sandwich. I like seeing their relationship together, the auntie relationship. <sighs> Is it... Bernie on the on the group chat filling out forms. I mean that's kind of important, I guess. But filling out forms is kind of boring, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And her talking about being on a group chat with Todd and Summer. Yeah, that'll do. All right. Bernie filling out forms. That is our boring moment of the week. Yes. Well, normally we would wrap up the show at this point. Yes. But now, what we're going to do is go over to an interview that I had with. Chris James from the Motor Neuron Disease Association that was recorded last Wednesday. Let's do that, shall we? Yes, let's do that. 
We are thrilled to have a chance to chat with Chris James today. Chris is the Director of External Affairs for the Motor Neuron Disease Association and has been working with Coronation Street on Paul's storyline. Chris, welcome to the Talk of the Street. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Pleasure to be on the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for asking me. Oh, absolutely. Pleasure to have you. What does a typical Wednesday look like for you, Chris? And with everything that's going on in the media with MND at the moment, is there such a thing as a typical Wednesday these days? There isn't really a typical day at the M&D Association anymore, actually. It it was always quite varied, but now um, the pace of things that are happening all over the place is is fantastic, really. I mean, no day is the same, but so much is happening uh, at a really fast pace, which is great news for motor neuron disease and and the work that we do as an association. It means that there's lots going on. So, yeah, there there isn't a typical day at the moment. (laughs) Well, that's... that's (laughs) Usually a good thing, isn't it? It keeps, keeps interest up and, and what have you. Uh, but this has yeah. been a thing, motor neuron disease has been in the news really going back to, uh, well, most recently, 2015, I think, uh, was when I was one of the estimated 17 million people around the world who did the Ice Bucket Challenge. And I was living in Michigan at that point, and it was promoted over here as the ALS Challenge or the Lou Gehrig's Disease Challenge. Before we jump into the Coronation Street stuff, perhaps you can help me and some of our Canadian and American listeners by telling us a little about the differences between ALS and motor neuron disease, or are they different words for the same thing? Yeah, they're essentially different words for the same thing. Um, In the UK and in some other parts of the world, we tend to talk about motor neuron disease and MND, uh, which covers... uh, about four different types of motor neuron disease, and they'll really be uh, identified by their the way that they progress and the way that they first show themselves. Right. Um, in the uh, in the US and Canada, particularly because of Lou Gehrig was such a famous baseball player and he mm-hmm. had motor neuron disease, uh, it has been called Lou, Lou Gehrig's disease for for many many years, and. Uh, in the US and Canada tend to refer to ALS or amotrophic lateral sclerosis to give it its full name which is one type of what we identify as one of the types of motor neuron disease but I think in the US and Canada ALS really refers to MND as a whole rather than that just that specific type of MND. So we can swap those three letter acronyms around and we're, we're all talking about the same thing then? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and what causes MND? What causes MND is a really interesting question. And actually, um, we don't know what causes MND. I know that might sound very strange, and that's part of the challenge with the disease. What we do know is that a number of factors would need to come together uh, for motor neuron disease to to occur. Um, And that's why it tends to affect people in the highest age rate is between about 50 and 70. So because those factors need to come together. Now, of course, people much younger than 50 do get motor neuron disease. So there's a suggestion that there are genetic factors involved with in the cause and, and those factors may come together more quickly. Um, and that's a real drive for the research is to get to the bottom of, of what causes MND. The great news at the moment is that this is a really exciting time for development in research into motor neuron disease so we believe um, that there are a number of uh, drugs now beginning to come through which we think are going to have a really positive effect on mnd and fight that find that treatment and cure with that we so desperately need right yeah it's it's strange isn't it the 
um, I don't know if it's just because of how the media works, but we have uh, Rob Burrow in his 40s, Dodie Weir, the Scottish rugby player, I think was maybe in his 50s when he passed away. Mm. Lou Gehrig was in his late 30s, and we've got fictitiously Paul in Coronation Street, a young man in his 30s. It kind of gives the idea that this is a trait of the disease, that it mainly affects young to middle-aged men who are by and large fit and healthy otherwise. Yeah, that's that's right. And I think that that it tends to happen because um, those uh, those particular stories, uh, very tragic stories, are very uh, uh, are, are, can get into the media, and right. they get into the media, and, and those are the stories that you tend to hear. Um, and and obviously, one of the amazing things about uh, people that don't know Rob Burrow, a very famous rugby league player. Um, in the UK and and he was diagnosed a few years ago and he's lived his life very publicly with MND um, supported by one of his teammates a guy called Kevin Sinfield they played for a rugby league team called the Leeds Rhinos together and uh, that has really been a step change in awareness of MND in in the UK it's really made a massive difference right. um, and they've raised huge sums of money as well but it yeah it, it's uh it's perhaps because the media is particularly interested in 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 those younger people who are diagnosed that, that the story's going but definitely the, the the most prevalent age group is between 50 and 70. interesting yes yeah, sport just has that ability to connect with people sometimes doesn't it it's like you, you have a, a high profile uh sportsman and it, and it, it seems to just generate media interest as well I think that's right, and I think because it's sport, uh, you see this. Uh, you know, Rob Burrow was a highly successful professional rugby player. To see him, you know, struck down as it were by MND right. and the devastating impact that the MND can have. And everybody's journey is different with motor neuron disease, but actually to see the impact on him, uh, you know, losing his ability to move, uh, to, to walk, to talk, um, and the impact of, on him and his family is very dramatic. And, and I think that shows you the devastating impact of this disease. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. On Coronation Street, Gemma's just got married on Monday and Paul's secret is now out in the open. For the viewers, Paul's story really kicked off back in February of this year when uh, Carla crashed the Underworld van and into him on a motorbike, which would have been filmed, I'm guessing, round about the end of 2022. But for you and for you guys, this must have started quite a bit before then. When did Coronation Street come to you with this idea and how does a conversation like that begin and evolve into a storyline? Yeah, the Coronation Street, the production team came to us um, quite some time ago, so um, towards the end of last year, and started to begin to talk about it and said that they were interested in exploring a story about motor neuron disease and one of the characters would get motor neuron disease. And they began to talk to us about um, some of the facts of motor neuron disease. One of the great things about the, the team at Coronation Street is that they were really determined to get this as accurate as they possibly could. 
we recognise that at the end of the day, this is a drama. Right. It, it's soap opera and there has to be some kind of dramatic licence. But they really wanted to make it as accurate as possible. And they began talking to us about, you know, the whole process of diagnosis, how that journey might evolve for that individual in terms of their diagnosis, how the disease might progress and 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 what sort of things would happen to them and, and their family and, and their friends and the people around them. And so, yeah, they began showing us uh, some scripts and some ideas for storylines, et cetera, and we were able to comment on them. We're very fortunate. We've got some very good medical advisors as well at the association who right. work with could help us do that. And so we were able to say, well, that, not, that's not really how it would work or mm-hmm. um, you might want to try this or this might be interesting for the storyline. So they work really collaboratively with us. It's been amazing. Yeah, it sounds like a, a real collaboration and, and you know, I always think it's it's good that the show tries to do these things, uh, like you said, as accurately and as real as possible. It, it, I think it does. Um, you know, we're talking about real people that have this, you know, that that, that suffer from this in, in real life, and I think it does them. You know, it just does does right by them to to have that um, to have that approach, and I think you know between you and I and anyone listening to this, the drama that that we're that you you mentioned there, it feels sometimes that that gets in the way. You know, the the story is really compelling enough as it is without any bells and whistles thrown onto it about Paul trying to steal cars or whatever to <laughs> to pay for his treatment. You know, the the storyline as it is, I think, is strong enough to to compel people and to get that information across and 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 be that kind of service storyline that I think is is really strong because of the characters that it involves. I think that's right, yeah. And I think the Coronation Street production team realises that the, the story of M&D is pretty dramatic. I, I've worked for the M&D Association for 10 years and the, the stories that I've heard, they are dr- almost dramas in themselves. You know, there's personal stories that people have about their M&D right. and what they go through, the the emotional impact, the financial impact, all of those things that M&D gives you an extraordinary story and the personal stories that I hear, I mean, many of them very, very sad, obviously. Sure. And, uh, yeah, but also inspiring as well. People yeah, with MND seem to inspire me, I have to say. Right. Right. Yeah. What I think the show does, does well, well, there's a couple of things I think it does really well. There's men being men when it comes to their own health. There's that part of it that is absolutely spot on as far as I, as far as I can think, because I say that as one of those men, uh, but also, the show is touching on some of the misunderstandings or the dismissive attitudes towards MND, especially in the early or pre-diagnosis stage. We joked in the podcast about the motorbike accident because it really was just Paul slowly toppling over. But just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen Paul getting a bit of an unwanted reputation for being work shy or a slacker. Maybe yeah. he's swinging the lead a little bit. I guess the opportunity here is to get some awareness out there and correct some of those misunderstandings and misconceptions. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's that's why you said earlier about how it, how important this is for the M&D community and doing right by them. And I think those are the sort of things that we know from the M&D community, which is a very, very strong community, is that frustrates them. You know, the, the thing about, you know, slurring of the speech, which is, can often be an early stage of diagnosis. Right. People think you're drunk. 
yep. you know, or, and, and, and you may be, uh, you lose sense of coordination as well because of the way your muscles are being affected. So all those things go together to make things very difficult for people with MND. And they're, sure. they're, you know, they're always saying to us, tell people about MND, you know, explain the story um, so that we don't have to explain it every time to to people and that really frustrates uh, frustrates them so yeah i think you're absolutely right it gives us that chance just to just to correct a few of the the myths about motor neuron disease and its impact definitely right yeah and i, I think the, the the consequence of that of, of telling the story as, as true as possible is saying some things that are kind of hard to, to say and some things that are hard to hear we had paul the other week or um, this week telling Billy that this is not a good death and mm. that's uh, I mean the weight of those words is just enormous right and and like you said for the, the, the people that live in this there's a community of people who um, who have this disease and and uh, you know sometimes you just think is that a is that a brave thing to say or is that a <laughs> it's, it's a little shocking to hear it's really hard and i think you know with mnd there's there's no treatment and i speak you know i i you know i've worked for, say for the mnd association for 10 years and i've built up relationships with people with mnd and their families of and, course, and, yeah. and i've known that there's only one end to that story uh, because there's no treatment and i know how quickly mnd can progress and i i think it i think that's that conversation about death and dying i think is one of the things that is really important and we all know that we tend to if ever if at all possible we avoid saying the words death and dying you know that's i felt felt bad seeing it yeah (laughs) yeah no we do and and but sometimes that that helps and we know from talking to people with MND and in fact surveys we, we've done over the years that they they do want to talk about it because they know they need to talk about it it's difficult and it's hard and very hard on their families for the to have those conversations but I think there is an opportunity here to tell that story and and it's not an easy you know these are really hard conversations and sure. no one finds them easy but if we can talk a bit more openly about death and dying then I think that's probably a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's really, it's such a taboo and it's something that's going to happen to everyone, whether it's mm-hmm. whether it's good, bad or indifferent. I'm not sure when you when it all boils down, whether there's a difference, there's a lead up to it that can be good, bad or indifferent, certainly. But I mean, we just avoid the conversation and we, we think it's something just happens to other people almost. It's, it's really weird yeah. how we've got this kind of, just switch that. Nope, I'm not going to think about that, and I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> no, that's right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So this is yeah. obviously a physically and emotionally challenging role for the actor for Peter Ash, and also mm. I think we've kind of touched on this for the other actors in the storyline. Particularly, we've got Shanique Sterling Brown uh, playing Paul's confidant, Dee Dee, and Daniel Brocklebank, of course, playing his partner Billy, for whom this must feel like a really close to home storyline, as his grandfather had it. So what That's kind right. of advice are, are you guys able to give this to make that honesty and truth and realism come through and, and do right by the community at the same time? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I mean, I think it's at the end of the day, as an actor, they will have their own methodology of how they do that, how how they touch, you know, how touched, uh, how they're going to present this, how they're going to get into that character. Um, and certainly, I know that Paul will 
uh, spoken to, sorry, Peter. I always get Peter and Paul. That, yeah. <laughs> we do that all the time. The good news is I believe the Coronation Street production team has the same problem, I think. Um, it's, it's the two Ps, I think. Right. Um, but I know that he has, you know, talked to people with MND and, and, and kind of watched a number of uh, films around MND and how it impacts on someone, and I'm sure that's helping that process. I, I know I know. Daniel uh, said in an interview, uh, Daniel Brockerbank, you know, he in terms of his own emotions, he's not going to have to dig very deep for this right. particular storyline because he, he he has experienced it himself. He knows what it's like and he went through the pain of losing his grandfather. So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm certainly, we, we've uh, tried to help and support as much as we can in terms of the emotional side of what someone with MND and their family is going through, uh, but at the end of the day, I guess the actor has to has to, has to mould that themselves and and really bring that to the fore in terms of how they present it. Yeah. And and obviously, you know, Peter's obviously got the the physicality issue as well. He's he's, he's going to have to present that physical manifestation of M and D, which uh, yeah, I'm sure will be challenging for him. But he's a great actor, so I'm, I've no doubt he's going to be able to do it. No, oh, he's absolutely smashing it. And I think that's why I'm I feel so connected to the storyline and and connected to to the character. You know, he's he's younger than me, but he's got that. He's kind of built up that sort of cheeky chappy kind of reputation. So it, and mm-hmm. he has never been really looking for. Uh, any more drama in his life, or or any more things to go wrong? You know, he's, he's never been particularly lucky, so it feels a bit more uh, impactful. I think out of all the characters in the show um, to be involved in the storyline for it to happen to him. But yeah, I think he's doing a he's doing a wonderful job. Uh, mm. Chris, ahead of talking with you today, I watched an interview that you did on BBC Breakfast in 2020, and you said something that I think is. It's quite shocking in its starkness that MND is not incurable, it's underfunded. A storyline like this is seen by millions and it's talked about by millions and then Peter Ash recently completed the Manchester Half Marathon running for MND and then we spoke about Kevin Sinfield and Rob Burrow in the Leeds Marathon with that incredible moment at the finishing line and that gets millions of people talking, gets thousands of words written in the media. What sort of difference do things like this make for MND charities and narrowing that gap towards a cure? I think it makes a huge difference and we've seen the impact of it over the last few years where I think, to be honest, there's been a massive step change in terms of awareness of MND and alongside that, the income that we're able to raise as an association uh, to support research into into MND, and th- and that has made a massive difference. So you talked about Kevin Sinfield and you know the money that he's the amazing amount of money that he's raised for um, the MND uh, community in the last two or three years. I think it's about eight million pounds now. Um, wow! And then the, and yeah, it's just extraordinary, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is amazing, but but we do need that, and that is you know that that is a very true statement. It's not incurable; it is underfunded, and, and neurological diseases are complex. Mm-hmm. They, they do need a very varied range of research. So you go right from your basic science right through to that sort of um, the 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 pointy end, if you like, which is getting the 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 drugs out of the the laboratory into the clinic. So there's this whole range, and you need to do all of it. Right. can't just do one bit of it yeah. and so and that's expensive and so we do need you know that investment we need investment from government which has had a successful campaign to get more government funding for targeted m d research which which we're very grateful for you need industry on board 
So you need the pharmaceutical industry where the, a lot of the big money is, the big bucks that yep. will come in and really take make that step change. And so although we're raising huge sums of money, we need to keep raising huge sums <laughs> of money. It's a constant, constant process. And and the awareness of someone like Coronation Street, which has had such a you know a huge uh, viewer viewing figures yep. and, and what we're thinking is that take it takes mnd to a new audience as well of course yeah. we saw the impact of mnd going into the rugby community which is a very close community but to go into the coronation street community is really important and uh, as well as that awareness raising will help us generate more funds I, I have absolutely no doubt about it if anyone's interested in donating to MND association or has an idea for a more concerted fundraising project or if someone's looking for support on their own journey with the disease what's the best way for them to do that chris the best way to do that is probably to go on our website actually which is www.mndassociation.org um you you'll see there's opportunities to donate on the website but lots of information there about the work that we're doing as an association not only in research but also in care and supporting people with mnd as well and our campaigning work to get better services for people with mnd which we we, we, we do a lot of that work you know so people with mnd get what they need when they need it essentially absolutely well you're doing a lot of great work chris thank you for that and thank you for your input on the storyline thank you for better informing us on mnd and many thanks for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you very much great and uh, thank you to everybody who's listening well wasn't that lovely it was Thank you again, Chris, for your time and for coming on the show. Yes, it is thank you. much appreciated. I really enjoyed our, our chat together. Mm-hmm. And I apologize I wasn't there. I had to photograph a, a drop leaf maple table. Oh, hold on. <laughs> auction talk. <laughs> is that all the auction talk? Yeah, it oh, was well. just like a passing comment. It wasn't even auction talk, really. I'm sorry, everyone. That was just a passing auction talk this week. <laughs> oh, well. Let's wrap this one up then. Yes, please. And remember, if anyone has any access to Ali King and can encourage her to say, all right, ball bag, and a recording device that can be then emailed to us, it would just make our week. It would be wonderful. And it you would can, make our year. And you can send it to us at thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash thetalkofthestreet. Check out the clicky-clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. A talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio. Bye.